From the U.S. Army, a national touring band and rock radio programmer, it's Nick Summers. And this is The Right Side of Rock. Here's Nick Summers. I've been looking forward to this one for a while. We're going to discuss the origins of glam or glitter rock. Just about everything you listen to today can be traced back to one person. Everything from pop rock to hard rock, even a little bit of hip-hop. You can thank this, what many call, this one person as being the forefather of glam or glitter rock. First, what is glam rock? Well, it's a style of rock music developed in the United Kingdom in the early 70s. It was performed by musicians who wore outrageous costumes, makeup, hairstyles, particularly platform shoes, glitter, things like that. Now, glam artists drew on diverse sources of music and throwaway pop culture, ranging from bubblegum pop, 50s, rock and roll, cabaret, science fiction, and complex art rock. Sounds like a mouthful, doesn't it? The flamboyant clothing and visual styles of performers were often camp or androgynous and have been described as playing with other gender roles. Glitter rock was a more extreme version of glam rock. Apparently, there's a difference. I kind of think of it as being the same, but the UK charts were inundated with glam rock uh, from 71 to 75. Now, the March 1971 appearance, here it comes, of T-Rex frontman Mark Bolin on the BBC's music show Top of the Pops, wearing glitter and satins, is often cited as the beginning of the movement. Other British glam rock artists included David Bowie, of course, Mott the Hoople, The Sweet, Slade, Roxy Music, and Gary Glitter. Those not central to the genre, but dabbled in it and had that approach, were like Elton John, Rod Stewart, Freddie Mercury of Queen. They kind of adopted glam styles. Now, in the United States, the scene was much less prevalent, at least early on. Alice Cooper can kind of be considered that, although I thought he was more of a theatrical rock artist kind of thing. But then you had uh, Lou Reed. They're really the only ones that scored a hit in the UK. Other American glam artists included early on, you had the New York Dolls, Susie Quattro, Iggy Pop. It started to decline in the mid-70s, but it influenced other musical genres, including punk rock, glam metal, which we'll get into, new romantic, death rock, and gothic rock, which happened much later. Now, all of this is is defined in, in, according to popular music, the key concepts. It's a book that came out in 2005. There were a lot of lesser-known acts that performed in the early to mid-70s all across the upper, I guess you could say, like in New York, the upper East Coast area. Kiss came out of that whole thing as well. They took uh, concepts from Alice Cooper, edited Slade, and a little bit of The Suite. Those were all big in, in Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley and even Ace Frehley's uh, realm of influence, if you will. You started to head towards the end of the 70s, and disco was really taking off and already starting to fizzle out. It was really only a couple of bands that kind of hung around that still had that, Alice Cooper and Kiss. Even in the UK, punk was starting to make a big uh, splash, if you will, which led us to the harder rock. If you, if you think of early Iron Maiden, I mean, they were just a punk band initially, but it was metal. It was more guitar-orientated. So things were already starting to sever off and, and go off into this like weird, different genres of music. But we're sticking with glitter rock or glam rock, and we're going to talk about the origins of it. I had mentioned the guy who pretty much kicked it off, according to Philip Oslander, performing glam rock, gender, and theatricality in popular music. He wrote this in the University of Michigan Press. He's the one who says... And many agree, including Rolling Stone magazine, that it was Mark Bolin on that one appearance, the BBC's music show Top of the Pops. Huge influence. 
Now, Mark Bolin, who was born Mark Field in 1947, died in 1977. He was posthumously inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2020 as a member of T-Rex. Interesting side note, he never learned to drive. He thought it would be the death of him if he did. Despite this, cars or automotive components are at least mentioned, if, if not the subject of many of his songs, and even owned a number of vehicles, including a 1960s Rolls Royce. But on September 16, 1977, he was a passenger in a mini GT driven by Gloria Jones. She's an American singer and songwriter. They were headed home from the Morton's Club and restaurant in Berkeley Square. She crossed a small humpback bridge near Gypsy Lane on Queens Ridge Barnes, southwest of London. The car struck a fence post and then a tree. Mark Boland was killed instantly. Jones suffered a broken arm and a broken jaw. To this day, people still will leave shrines or flowers on the anniversary of his death. But again, Mark Boland strongly influenced artists of many genres. This is what I was talking about, how this one guy influenced so many different styles of music, and it was really highlighted in the 80s. And we're going to get to that in part two. This is part one. We'll cover mostly the 70s. But, I mean, even reaching into, like, Boy George. Now, Mark Boland was also friends with David Bowie, and you can almost kind of see how things were going there with David Bowie and Ziggy Stardust. As a matter of fact, Bowie's song Lady Stardust is generally interpreted as alluding to fellow glam rock icon Mark Bowen. The original demo version from David Bowie was called He Was All Right, a song for Mark. They changed it, obviously, when they went into production. And did you know Boland played twin lead guitars alongside his friend Jeff Lynn of the Electric Light Orchestra? It's true. But he was uncredited, sadly. He had a string of hits. His most famous, of course, is Bang a Gong. This right here is the beginning and the origins of glam or glitter rock. It was their second chart topper for T-Rex on the UK singles charts and even featured a very young Elton John playing piano on the song, although some say he didn't actually play it. He's just in the Top of the Pops performance version of it, and he was, I guess you could say, miming because he don't lip sync with the piano. Origins of Glam Glitter Rock, here you go. It's Bang a Gong, Get It On. Mark Bowen, T Rex, from 1971. necessarily consider this individual as being glam or glitter rock but he certainly fits into the genre this was more of theatrical rock which is kind of where kiss kind of went as well but a lot of people called it back then shock rock even psychedelic rock although it's far removed from that i think but alice cooper was probably the first from the united states to have huge success even in england and of course here in the country with his first hit single in 1971 i'm 18 
continued success with Schools Out, also Billion Dollar Babies Tour, which was huge and broke box office records previously held by the Rolling Stones. Talking about the origins of glam or glitter rock, you really can't talk about the genre without mentioning, as we just did at the top, T-Rex, Mark Bowen. A lot of people point to him as the start of all of this. Alice Cooper, again, in there as well. There were some other relatively kind of pop culture, you could say underground bands. That never really made it. I mean, they did okay. But you had the Stooges, you had the Velvet Underground. We're talking about Lou Reed and his band. And the New York Dolls. Why are the New York Dolls so important? The New York Dolls really helped define what the scene was in New York. Drawing upon, of course, T-Rex and a little bit of like the Rolling Stones. They were just, I mean, high heels, androgynous wardrobe, eccentric hats, satin, makeup, spandex, even dresses. From the New York Dolls, you had bands like Kiss, also in the 70s. And we'll get to them in just a couple of minutes. But the New York Dolls are really important. They never really made it huge. They were more infamous than they were famous. Many say terrible musicians. And the songs were only so-so. It was more about the appearance and their performance that kind of catapulted them and put them on a pedestal that a lot of other acts aspired to be. Some, like Kiss, ended up passing you could say they're mentors in this success department, although it took a few years. David Johansson was the frontman of the uh, New York Dolls. And there was a brief time, brief, Blackie Lawless played lead guitar from Wasp. Very short-lived, not on any albums, just did a, sh- a couple of dates, really. Their first album made it to number 116 on the charts. So again, not very successful. That was released in 1973. Some of the early stuff even produced by Todd Rundgren, who went on to play guitar for in the studio and produce Meatloaf, Spat Out of Hell. Came across as a slicker form of hard rock. It had, uh, well, stylistically punk to hard rock, but it had that, that you know, that pretty kind of approach to it. necessarily in the Alice Cooper realm of things, but you had Slade. We can't forget about Slade as we go jump back across the pond. They actually formed in Wolverhampton in 1966, but really hit it big in the early 70s. As a matter of fact, they were the first act to have three singles enter the charts at number one, something nobody had done since the Beatles. This was, of course, in the UK. Their best-selling single, Merry Christmas, everybody. (laughs) It was a Christmas song. Who knew? They tried to go over to the United States, but it was very unsuccessful. But without Slade, you wouldn't have so many of today's bands that are actually still out there playing. And again, the fingerprints are all over the place. Nirvana, Smashing Pumpkins, Ramones, The Runaways, The Clash, Kiss, Motley Crue, Poison, Def Leppard, Twisted Sister, Cheap Trick, Oasis, and even Quiet Riot, who covered a couple of Slade songs. Two of the three biggest hits, as a matter of fact. Britney Fox did as well. Slade was uh, notorious for the deliberate misspelling of their song titles. Come on, feel the noise, C-U-M. Noise with the Z. Mama, we're all crazy now. Too easy at the end of crazy. They became well known for that. But again, without Slade, you wouldn't have many of the, the bands that we're going to talk about in part two of this. When we move from glitter rock to glam rock. But here's Slade. 
Yes, they were first with this song. Mama, we're all crazy now. This is The Right Side of Rock. David Bowie is another one we cannot ignore. He flirted with so many different styles of uh, of rock. I mean, there was just all these sub-genres. But the glitter thing is what brought him the most fame. Ziggy Stardust, as a matter of fact. David Bowie was, was friendly with everybody on the scene. Especially, you know, coming from England, hung a lot, hung out a lot in New York, the East Coast, when things were really popping with the New York Dolls and the Velvet Underground. Wrote songs for Mott the Hoople. But Ziggy Stardust, he, he created what he called a melding of Iggy Pop and Lou Reed, and it became the ultimate pop rock idol, which was Ziggy Stardust. Absolutely huge in the glam or glitter rock movement. It's David Bowie. Ziggy played guitar Jamming good with weird and gilly And the spiders from Mars Now Francis Paul Gad, known professionally as Gary Glitter. I, I was hesitant to bring him up, but he is important in this type of, uh, in this genre, which was the glamour, the glitter rock. Uh, rock and roll part two. Part one is lame, by the way. Do You Want to Touch Me? Did you know that he did that before Joan Jett? That's right. Do You Want to Touch Me? Well, this guy was huge in the early 70s and influenced a lot of people, as a matter of fact. But as we know, he was also busted. A lot of weird stuff. Everything from child pornography to sexual activity with underage you know, boys and girls. He's always claimed that he's innocent of all of it. But again, he brought a laptop into a repair shop in Bristol in the UK and they found all these images. What is it with these lunatics and these pedophiles and their laptops always having to be serviced and thinking that nobody's going to find those files? Hello, Hunter Biden. Exactly. As of last year, he was still incarcerated. 16 years in prison. The guy's a slime. But personal stuff aside... He was very important to the glam and or glitter rock. Here is the original version of Do You Want to Touch Me? As I mentioned, covered and still to this day in her set lists for Joan Jett. But this is the original. It's not much different, really. Now, another British glam rock band that rose to prominence in the 70s uh, is The Sweet, or just Sweet, depending. These guys were huge. But what's funny is they didn't really even get international success until they released a very synthesizer-laden Love is Like Oxygen. Who remembers that song? 
But if you take a look at Sweet and what they looked like and the songs and the way they approached their performances, they could have easily been plucked out of the mid-70s and thrown into the mid-80s with maybe a slightly updated look and a slightly updated sound, but not changing a whole lot. They were definitely the prototypical 80s glam rock artist on MTV that you found in the mid-80s. And we're going to get to that. That'll be part two on the right side of rock. But we're doing the origins, and we have to tip our hats to the suite. They gave us great songs, Turn It Down. Little Willie, I was never a fan of that one. I mentioned Love Is Like Oxygen. That was a huge hit in 78. We had to go back to the mid-70s. As a matter of fact, in 1973, you had Ballroom Blitz. And my favorite song in 1975, Fox On The Run. They were bigger in the UK. But again, a lot of these bands, like the New York Dolls, Slade, Sweet, T-Rex to a certain degree, they really, really influenced many of the bands that we grew up with and even some today. It's incredible to think that Adam and the Ants, Boy George, all the hard rock bands of the 80s, I mean, they all point their fingers right over there at those bands I just mentioned like this. Here's Sweet, Fox on the Run. In 1972, you had a band called Wicked Lester. Ever heard of them? Exactly. Even the founders of that band knew that this band wasn't going to make it. They released an album for Epic Records, but then again, it was never released because the album, after the record execs heard it, said, this is terrible. And even two guys in the band thought, yeah, this is not what we're going for. Fired the guys in the band, hired two more guys, changed their name, hit the studio, and late 73, recorded an iconic first album, which many of those songs are still being represented today on their set lists as they're out doing their final tour, so they say this time. Who am I talking about? I'm talking about Kiss. And that's right. They took all the elements of the New York Dolls, which they used to say, according to Gene Simmons, you go see the New York Dolls back in their heyday, and it was more of a fashion show with music as a secondary thing. Well, they took that to the next level. They took the music and made it better, and it was... And they added not necessarily a fashion show, but a statement. Gene Simmons had, you know, the comic book horror Alice Cooper kind of approach. And each guy, and this was probably by design, was identifiable by the unique makeup. Not since the Beatles did you have four independent individuals in the band where you knew who everybody was and you had your favorite, much like the Beatles. It took a couple of years for them to get going, but once they did... They hit with Kiss Alive, the live uh, album that came out, one of the best-selling live albums of all time. I mean, it's incredible what Kiss has accomplished. And they're better musicians than they're given credit for, but they've sold over 100 million records worldwide, 21 million here in the United States, 30 gold albums, which is the most from any band in the United States. Did you know that? No band has as many gold records as Kiss. I, I was really shocked by that. Huh. They've also got 14 platinum albums. Many are multi-platinum. 
They were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. But we have to go back to what was what's considered a signpost, if you will, with glam rock or glitter rock taking the best elements of all those bands I just mentioned and throwing them in a blender and you've got the first album. The production is horrible, but the songs are still there. You can hear it. And what would become the kiss that we know today? We're going to make that my final cut. You're listening to The Right Side of Rock with Nick Summers. Here we go. We've been taking a look at the origins of glam or glitter rock and the two bands from the United States that were the probably the biggest sellers... You had Alice Cooper, and you had Kiss. Both were on a, a rocket ship trajectory as far as their careers. It took some time. Alice Cooper took a little bit of time. Kiss took a couple albums. But we're going to close out the 70s era of the glam or glitter rock. We'll get to part two next week on The Right Side of Rock. This is Kiss. And this is my final cut. And this is completely total New York-style attitude. The song is called Strutter. They still do it today. The origins of glam and glitter rock on the right side of rock. The right side of rock. Here's the final cut. Right Side of Rock with Nick Summers.